Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. Hello, hope you're okay and had a good weekend. Thanks for downloading today's podcast on Monday, January 22nd. First up, there's been major disruption as Storm Isha brought winds of up to 80 miles per hour. An amber weather warning was in force last night and the Sheppey Crossing and Dartford Bridge had to be closed for safety reasons. They both reopened this morning and the alert was downgraded to yellow, which lasted until midday. Some trains were cancelled or delayed and hundreds of homes were left without power. Several roads have also been blocked by fallen trees. Earlier, I spoke to Toby Howe about the impact the conditions have had in the county. We had crews out overnight dealing with whatever they could. The trouble is, of course, in darkness, we need to manage their own safety. They prioritise on um, the main roads and if there are any properties affected from the highway. The trouble is with the ground still being fairly soft, even though we've had sort of two weeks of frosts, Um, A lot of trees are are weak and branches will have been weakened by previous storms. We'll have crews out clearing whatever they can, but some of those minor lanes will still be blocked possibly for for some time as we prioritise on the sort of main roads and work well down the list, so to speak. But we try and focus if there are, as I say, sort of communities or properties that are impacted by road closures, we prioritise those. But really, the message is for people out there, take extra care because you never know what's around the next corner. And it does feel like we've had a lot of storms recently. I know there have been quite a few named storms so far this winter already. I mean, is that how how you feel that it's been a bit more than, than usual, perhaps, this winter? Yes, it has, certainly. I mean, we seem to have gone from one storm to another one. Um as as we progress and i mean we we can see that on our data where we sort of record cost against the individual storms you can see that list of storms this winter but i think that's the pattern that we're going to be expecting you know possibly sort of hotter drier summers maybe um but these sorts of winters now i think that's the way forward plus i mean i think the criteria for naming storms is relatively new over the past few years so it does seem a new thing but it is quite useful because we can then at least focus um, when we're looking at budgets in particular, we can highlight the impact it has on the service. Yeah, because of course, all of this costs money, doesn't it? Getting crews out to to sort out the fallen trees and, and you know, even with the cold weather, with the gritting. I mean, do you, do you have figures for, for how much this particular storm might cost? No, not at the moment. Again, that'll take a while to come in once we get all the costs from subcontractors, from tree surgeons, etc. We have a look at that. But it's adding another pressure to what is already a very pressured budget. I mean, yes, the, the state of the roads due to all of the rain and the ice, due to lack of funding over many, many years for highway maintenance, there's a lot of additional pressure on the highway service now. It is a problem because it, it totally impacts not only the budgets, but also the programming of other works. So the highway crews that will be out there repairing and dealing with with the storm would ordinarily be out there doing other works on the road. So it delays all of that work as well. It's it's just this ever-increasing sort of circle of issues that we have out on the highway network. 
You can follow live updates on the storm over on our website. We've also got pictures of some of the disruption, including a greenhouse that blew onto the railway tracks. Kent Online reports. Police say the death of a woman in her 30s in Ashford Town Centre is not being treated as suspicious. The whole high street was cordoned off for several hours on Friday after her body was found. Flowers have now been left at the scene. Detectives are investigating a suspected arson attack at a derelict pub near Sittingbourne. Five fire engines and a hype vehicle were called to the Kemsley Arms on Ridham Avenue yesterday evening. No one was hurt, but the blaze is being treated as suspicious. A driver's admitted crashing into the side of Raynham Railway Station. Pictures at Kent Online show substantial damage to the side of the building. Police say they've reviewed CCTV footage and the person responsible has come forward. A Medway drink driver's been caught swerving along the M25 and driving into oncoming traffic. The 52-year-old also crashed his car into a roundabout near Sevenoaks in July last year and blew 101 on a roadside breath test. The limit is 35. The Russian nationals had his licence suspended before a sentencing hearing later this year. A court heard how a Folkestone man threatened to put his girlfriend to sleep during an attack on his partner after a day of drinking and taking cocaine. Lucas Hook was accused of assaulting his victim on five separate occasions, kicking her in the chest and grabbing her throat. The 32-year-old who lives on Grimston Avenue has been jailed for more than three years and given a restraining order. Kent Online News. Now a Medway woman is hoping to travel to America for particular potentially life-saving treatment after being diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. Leonie Botton is only 29. She's been telling us how it all started. So, um, 2022, um, May or June, I first went to um, the hospital with the lump in my breast. They did an ultrasound but said that it's just fibrous tissue because my age it's nothing to be concerned of um they never said if it gets bigger come back if it gets harder come back nothing like that um but December I noticed it was getting bigger and harder um so I booked a doctor's appointment went to that in January they said um that they was concerned about it so booked me back in at the hospital and then when I went back, they did another ultrasound, then didn't like what they saw. And straight away, they did a biopsy on it um, and then sent me for a mammogram. And then a couple of weeks after I got the confirmation that it was cancer. But the way that I received the confirmation was actually in a letter. Um, they accidentally sent me a letter telling me that I've got cancer. Um, obviously, those apologising about that um but yeah it's my mum that kind of read the letter understood what it meant so it's my mum that broke the news to me which was traumatising for the both of us um and then they told me that it was curable um that it would just be a long year ahead with all the treatment um but then after the scans they realised that it had spread so said sorry it's not curable now um, cause it first went to my liver um, and then after some more scans a few weeks later it had then gone to my spine and yeah now it's in my pelvis my left lung 
but I've got another scan should be this month. Um, we're hoping it hasn't spread anywhere else. Um, but obviously we don't know if it has, it means that the, um, treatment that we're hoping to receive in America will be more expensive if it's gone to my brain or anywhere else, then it's, yeah, obviously different treatment. So yeah, we're hoping it hasn't spread anywhere else. <laughs> no, of course. How did you feel, you know, obviously being so, so young? At first, when they said it was curable, obviously it's scary, but I just thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to have a bit of a rubbish year, but after that it'll be fine. But, yeah, everything changed when when they said they had spread to organs. When I went in June 2022, if they had noticed it straight away, when it was a small lump, um, then, yeah, it wouldn't have been in my organs by then. It would have just been a case of probably a lumpectomy, chemo, and then sorted. But, yeah, once it's spread, there's there's not much they can do. Looking back, I should have asked more questions and probably got a second opinion, but when you're told by a professional, you know, you just think everything's fine. She's hoping to raise around £72,000 to travel to the States. Kent Online reports. The owners of a news agents in Canterbury say they've been forced to sell up after their shop was ram-raided last October. The couple have been in charge of St Stephen's News for nearly 40 years, but say the robbery pushed them into early retirement. One person's been arrested and is facing three years in prison for driving his car into the shop front and stealing tobacco and cigarettes worth more than £7,000. Investigations are ongoing after a couple were found dead together at their home in Deal. Colin and Pamela Adams, who had been married for 45 years, were found in September last year. However, an inquest has failed to show how or when they died. Police say there's no evidence of violence or suicide. A couple from Hythe who lost their baby boy shortly after he was born are raising money to help other bereaved parents. Amber Buckingham went into labour four weeks early and Beau died minutes after an emergency C-section. She and her partner Ali managed to spend a few days with him thanks to a cold cot at the William Harvey Hospital in Ashford. They've been speaking to our reporter Chantal Weller. They got us into the bereavement suite on the Friday and we stayed there until Sunday afternoon maybe. I think it was Monday. Was it Monday yeah. that we started? Yeah, then? I think it was Monday. So that's when they brought Bo quite quickly to us in the cold cot afterwards. What we had was an Abbey cot. Um, they're more expensive, but they they do better to preserve the body from deteriorating quicker. <clears throat> um, I think they keep them a lot cooler than some of the other ones. Um, so we had him with us Friday through to Monday. Um I think it's not something normally where you'd sort of spend that time with your baby that's not alive. Um, but obviously you don't get the time to make memories like other parents do. Um, so, yeah, that time was really important to us. Um, and in those sort of three days, we were sort of, we had hand and feet cast done, were able to take photos with him um, and just sort of cuddle him and, just hold him and be with him and make because that short like without without a cold cot or an abbey cot, we'd have that they'd have brought him out to us. We'd have held him for a while and then they would have had to take him, mm. and we wouldn't have seen him again until maybe he was in the funeral care. So the fact that we got to spend like three days with him, 
like day and night, 24 hours a day to do all these things, to make memories, mm. to get pictures, to do all that. And um, we weren't pushed for time. The last thing you think about when you give birth is that your baby isn't going to survive yeah, that and was... that you're going to go home without your child. So the fact that that was already there without us having to think about anything, because that's just you're in such a state of shock that you just don't have time to think about these things. You can't prepare for anything like that. So it's having the cold cot is the hospital's preparation for it. But yeah, a lot of hospitals don't actually have them. So they're not sort of funded by the government or anything like that. Sadly, the hospitals that do have them, it's generally because someone's lost a child or a baby and that's how they've become aware of them. Um, so the Abbey cot comes from Abigail's footsteps, which is um, a baby girl that lost her life and her parents founded the company. Um, and they've got a long list on their website of all the hospitals in the UK that have been given um, an Abbey cot. So we've raised money for our first one already. We've actually not started doing any fundraising yet, um, but we've already got enough to fund the first one. Um, so we're going to try and find a hospital that doesn't already have one so that then they have that option to have it there and other people can then benefit from that. Um, so now we're going to push for our second um, and just kind of see how far mm -hmm. we can take it, really. At least for the rest of the year, we'll, you know, we'll do fundraisers with friends, family. There's so many things we've got planned, so many people involved. But like I said, before we've even sort of lifted a finger to do anything physical yet, just donations have just poured in and we've got enough to, to get yeah. the first one and get that in Bo's name great. and get it in the hospital. Right? Yeah. We've got a link to their fundraising page over on our website. Kent Online News. It's emerged dozens of libraries across Kent could be closed to save money. The council's announced plans to consult on offloading some of the buildings as they aim to balance their budget books over the next few years. Peter Oakford is the deputy leader of Kent County Council and in charge of finance. This is what he said at a recent meeting. I think we're all aware that Kent has far too many libraries. We have... Uh, more libraries per head than any other organisation, local authority in the country. We currently have 99 libraries. We are looking at that and the administration will bring a proposal forward sometime this year to see where libraries can be sold or disposed of to local communities, to parish councils, to other organisations if we would deem that we want to carry on running them as a library and if a parish perhaps wants to, to um, keep that as a library in their area. The thing that, that we will not be doing, is, as Mr Rayner quite rightly points out, we won't be gifting these buildings. And when this has happened in the past, um, KCC have passed a building over to a local parish council as an example perhaps but have then retained the liability for that building. So they've had to carry on paying the maintenance, etc. Something that we can no longer afford to do. So we're looking at how we can work with local communities around some of our assets, but without keeping any form of liability to KCC or gifting a building, because we will not under... That is my red line, um, and the red line of, of, of my colleagues, that we will not be gifting buildings, as I said earlier. So we're, we, we are looking at that, and we will be bringing a proposal forward sometime in 2024. Well, Jackie uses Lenham Library regularly. I come here once or twice because it's very handy, um, and I pick up my books here, I get them, you know, reserve them. It's a very friendly place. It's warm. 
and then they've got other times they've got I think rhyme times and other things for the children and I was here recently and the local school children were using it um, it would be very sorely missed if anything happened to it Elsewhere today, there are plans to convert old farm buildings on the outskirts of Canterbury into holiday lets. Developers say it'll breathe new life into the site at Bramling Court in Wingham. You can see pictures of what it could look like at Kent Online. Concerns have been raised over plans to turn an old asylum in Canterbury into 200 homes. The proposals would see the now-empty Cranmer Ward wing at Martins Hospital converted into affordable housing. Critics are worried it would put too much pressure on surrounding infrastructure. Developers say plans for 115 homes near Sittingbourne will help meet local housing needs. New properties are due to be built at Grovehurst Farm in Kemsley, right near the busy Grovehurst roundabout. The site is part of plans for a total of 1,500 homes for the area. A major road near Maidstone is going to be closed for six weeks for repairs. The County Council say the A274 Sutton Road will be shut from February 6th until March 17th between Horseshoes Lane and the junction with Leeds Road at the Plough. Diversion at the Plough. Diversions will be in place for the thousands of motorists who use the road every day. Kent Online reports. A Medway school has discovered a time capsule from the 1970s buried inside its wall. The brick-sized container was found at Thomas Aveling School in Rochester and contained confiscated stink bombs and staff payslips. Former pupils and teachers were invited back to see what was inside. They also found a school report, canteen menu and TB vaccine vaccination slip. A theatre programme for refugees and asylum seekers is starting at the Uni of Kent today. Free workshops will be running over the next 20 weeks to try and boost community engagement and tell people's stories. There'll be a performance at the School of Arts at the end of it. And a Canterbury man says he's determined to keep driving, even after reaching a milestone birthday. Eric Dixon recently turned 100, but still loves getting behind the wheel. According to surveys, the average age that people give up driving is 75, but Eric has no intention of handing back his licence. He's been watching TV's 100-year-old driving school, which followed motorists in their 90s and older, undergoing an assessment overseen by examiners. And he says he's certain he was better than all of them. Here he is chatting to our reporter, Brad Harper. I, I love it. I've been driving all my life and uh, I still love it as much as I did when I started. What do you love about driving? Well, just just love it. It's what I learned to do when I was very, very young, as almost a teenager, and uh, I still love it. I was watching television on one occasion and there was a program by ROSPA, uh, the Prevention of Accidents, and it was some old age pensioners being taken out uh, and seeing what their driving was like. Well, I must admit, they're all pensioners, and uh, one or two were quite good. I'm not de deleting them, but uh, one or two, oh dear, they should never ever have been driving. They shouldn't. Being a professional driver all my life, I respect driving. I respect other people's driving. But you can't respect them because they don't know how to drive. I've passed about uh, seven or eight tests in my life. and I've passed every one 10 out of 10, so I can't grumble about that. And the last one, or the one before the last, was the 
was the toughest. It was tough. But I enjoyed going through it. It never worried me. And I got 10 out of 10 on that one. Kent Online Sports. Football now and Gillingham were unable to make four league wins in a row over the weekend, settling for a draw in their match against Forest Green Rovers. Despite the Jills going 1-0 up, their opponents soon equalised and the game ended one all. Head coach Stephen Clements spoke to us after the match. I'm very disappointed with the result. I felt we've fell below the standards we have set recently. Um, those standards have been very, very high. Uh, but today, I just felt there was a little bit of an edginess about us. Um, and obviously, um, we all have to look at ourselves, that's me included, um, the whole group, uh, and, and, and obviously have a reset, come back um, on Monday and go again. But I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I, I felt that um, um, I know that we can do a lot better than that. And uh, yeah, we didn't bring that today. To go ahead in the 67th minute, I think it was, I've just looked um, downstairs and, and then for obviously to concede in the 75th. We normally go ahead and we're normally quite solid, but look, we've probably made a little bit of a mistake. But then what was probably concerning is um, they equalise and then we could probably actually even go and lose it, um, which is not like us at all. So, yeah, disappointing. Um, it is a bit of a bump in the road for us, um, but we didn't get beat. Um, and we have to come back and try and get a result next week now and try and make up for it. That's all from us today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, X, Instagram, TikTok and Threads. You can also get details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. To sign up, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.